Welcome to In The Making. I'm your host, Katie Stewart, founder of Cheyenne Studio. Today, I'm talking to Carrie Bilbo. She's a jewelry designer based in Brooklyn and founder of Carrie Bilbo Jewelry and Sweet Caroline Wedding Adornments. Hi, Carrie. Hello. Thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Uh, I'm really excited to have you on because you not only went to college with me at Pratt, but you also designed my engagement and wedding ring as well as my husband's wedding ring. So <laughs> we're definitely big fans of your work and I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. So yeah, so anybody for anybody listening, Carrie and I went to college together at Pratt Institute, which is an art school here in Brooklyn. So we've known each other for a little while and I think something that's really cool about going to art school is Finally, 10 years later, I think everybody we know from college is actually doing the thing they wanted to do and working in the industry they went to school for, for the most part. Mostly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It (laughs) took took a little while. (laughs) And so you were a jewelry designer in college, which is kind of a a very particular art form. Mm -hmm. How did you decide that was what you wanted to study and learn and do? Um. I really decided to do it. I was a painting major first, and then I decided to switch my major after taking a few jewelry courses as my sculpture credits. And then I really, I was very interested in it because um, I was learning a new skill, whereas painting, I felt like I was just enhancing a skill I already had. And I liked that technical aspect of it. I also saw more career options and less attachment. I felt like when I painted, it was more like, for personal, like emotional situation. And then jewelry, I felt as a more sellable, workable, you know, craft. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I didn't realize you were a painting major first too. I wanted to be a painting major, but from a similar perspective, it was like, well, career opportunities don't seem I mean, I think I only really decided to be a painting major because they told me to choose something and that's what I was very interested in at that moment in time. Um, but otherwise, it's just I've always been interested in making. I just didn't know exactly where. I mean, in high school, I thought I wanted to be a fashion designer. Yeah. So it, it is kind of funny, though, because I feel like jewelry is sort of an in-between between, like, a fine art and fashion. Um, so I guess it kind of falls in the middle, and that works anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say especially your jewelry is is a little bit more fine art than things you might mm-hmm. see in a typical store that people might be used to, yeah. like more everyday stuff. And Pratt sort of teaches it that way as well. It's more, it is under the fine art department at Pratt. So. Yeah. Yeah. I remember your senior show back then mm-hmm. uh, for jewelry. I remember it was a pretty big deal. You got a lot of awards and recognition for it, but I remember seeing it and your theme focused on a lot of kind of nature and natural pieces that had cicada wings and tree branches. And I think there were spiders and some kind of creepy yet fun and, and interesting My takes on it. thesis topic was phobias. I'm uh, naturally myself attracted to like the details and textures um, that are naturally occurring in nature. Um, I'm very detail-oriented. So 
for that, I, I kind of focused on like the wings of, a, of an insect and the legs of a spider and the, and the textures of a branch and the way they move and incorporate with the body, but also attaching themselves to the body, you know, both physically and mentally because, well, the topic was phobias. Yeah. I mean, conceptually, that's a really interesting topic for something you wear and carry with you. Yes. How did that show, that thesis show that you put together and the different natural pieces kind of affect what you kept creating moving forward, the pieces that you made after the show when you started your own company? At Pratt, in the jewelry program, we work on our senior thesis for the entire year, unlike some of the other programs. And so really you develop your entire style there. And it, you, it's not something you just drop afterwards. So when I went to do my first collection, the actual first pieces I did, a lot of them were more wearable pieces based on popular pieces or pieces I liked from my senior thesis. A few of the pieces actually just translated and, and I exactly just, I made a mold and remade that piece. I mean, it, start, it was in my first collection as well, um, but a lot of them were just based off of them as well. How would you describe that aesthetic that your designs and the pieces in your collection turned into? It, it started with this concept of the phobias and it was inspired by nature. How would you describe the the jewelry you've been creating since then? My work is like nature and man-made sort of incorporated together, focusing on the details, textures, even if something's not directly like a branch, which is very literal nature, I still incorporate sort of the nature, the texture aspect. Yeah. So nature is kind of the major theme in a lot of your design. Uh, yeah, I think, I think so. Um, I've done some other collections incorporated here and there with fashion groups and stuff. And some of those tend to be maybe more geometric or like stray, but there's still that aspect there as well. I mean, it's just a natural style I, I go towards, but it is fun to do other projects as well because they will, they, they give me a chance to do something completely different as well. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about what it's like to create a piece of jewelry? I mean, I'm sure every, every piece is different and has its own process, but what goes into jewelry making or one simple piece you might make? Where do you start with something like that? Well, it starts with the design. If it's custom work, then I actually do a lot of different sketches, renderings, sort of exactly what it's going to be. But it sometimes, a lot of times, if it's for me, if it's something I'm going to make to go into my production line, I sometimes don't actually sketch it out. I just have a sketch it in my brain and kind of just like play around with the metal until I get what I want to, to make. But yeah, jewelry making itself, it can start many different ways. A lot of times I start with a wax uh, and I carve that wax because wax can sometimes give me a texture that I can't necessarily get out of metal and I can, I can create those natural textures. And um, then it's a process called lost wax casting and lost wax casting is essentially you attach a, a sprue that goes into a, a casting tree when you do lots of castings and um, you make a, essentially a plaster mold over top of it. You pour plaster on top of it and then it goes into the kiln and the wax is melted out, and then you have this um, positive space that's empty that then molten uh, metal is then injected very quickly, either through centrifugal force or vacuum casting or anything, to create 
this piece and then the plaster is then blasted out and you you're left with the positive of the metal that's what lost wax casting is but there's a lot that goes into jewelry after that because you get this pretty rough piece so sometimes i'll cast a piece and it'll just be one little part of a bigger piece um, sometimes i cast it and it, it's a finished piece essentially after i polish it up and finish it but that's just one method obviously other methods are you know, fabricating entirely from a sheet of metal and tubes and wires and all those things and soldering with my torch. So the, the casting process is really interesting and sounds really elaborate. Is that something you do right in your studio? I do not, not anymore. I don't physically do it in my studio in New York City. It's a little hard with space and money wise. So really anybody, at least in New York, uh, because we have access right on 47th Street to many casters. Um, I actually just usually take my finished wax to them and they do the casting process and then I get it back in its raw form that I need to clean up and whatnot. But when I was in school, we did learn the process so I could do it. If I was ever to not live in New York City, I might end up doing it myself because it would, I would have more space and less, less availability right there. So the other thing that I think is super interesting is, is what you were kind of just talking about, the fact that since we're in New York, you have the ability to go to someone who specializes in casting. And I think it also gives you access to really interesting materials. And and there's a lot of like districts in Manhattan Mm -hmm. that just have different kinds of gemstones and different things available. I know my husband said when he worked with you to create my engagement ring, he thought the process was really cool because he he had you make a custom ring and, and you sketched out the ring and I think you painted it as well. It looked painted. It like was a really rendering, beautiful. yeah, of it. Um, yeah. Which is colored pencil, but yeah. Oh, colored pencil. Yeah. Well, it looked like a beautiful drawing of this ring. And then he mentioned that he met you somewhere in Midtown to go pick out a stone. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what the process is like to source some of your materials and where you go in Manhattan and how all of that works? Yeah, so in Manhattan, generally between 46th and 48th and 5th Avenue and 6th Avenue, like in that section is the jewelry district, 47th mainly. Um, and there are just hundreds and hundreds of different vendors of different sorts, um, sometimes on the 20th floor, like not just straight up. It's really a matter of, Knowing people and getting good recommendations because it's not like you would find someone on the 20th floor just out of nowhere. And so you kind of get your trusted people. You know where to go for certain things. It's it's kind of a learning through other jewelry people in the industry. And then I like to stick with my same people once I find them, trustworthy people. So for your ring, I went to a, a specific diamond dealer that does interesting cuts in it in not straight up white diamonds. They do like yours is a, is like a milky diamond. They do that kind of thing. So when I'm looking for an interesting geometric sort of cut of a diamond, I go to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool because I feel like unless you're in some of these industries in New York, you wouldn't know that these districts really even exist. Like you might walk through the diamond district, you know that it's there, but I think a lot of these shops seem almost secretive. When we were working on our wedding, we were sourcing some flowers and I feel like the floral district was kind of similar where you just have to go in there and find the right person and then get their phone number and then they would go to the shop and find the right thing for you. It's not like other industries where you go online and you see a pretty website and you just work with that company and send them an email. It's a very kind of like hands-on. You have to meet people and find the right people approach. Yeah. And there's, and there's so many, you know, like if I, 
all of a sudden don't like a certain vendor anymore. Like it is a pain to find a new one, but like, you know, you, you ask around, find someone and then eventually, you know, find someone new for, for that sourced material or something. Yeah. So in that way, jewelry is a, a really interesting industry to work in and create a business in. I'm curious about the business side of the jewelry making, you know, mm-hmm. the artistic side, you learned a lot about a Pratt. You've been growing and developing your own style for many years. But from a business perspective, you went right into your own business after college, right? For the most part, yes. Sort of not by choice. Uh, <laughs> as you remember, we graduated during a very hard time yeah. uh, right, after, <laughs> right after the market crash. So as in many fields, a lot of people we graduated with couldn't find jobs right away. I did find a job with someone. It was not exactly what I wanted though. And eventually after a few months, like she didn't have much work for me to do. So I, on the side, I started making jewelry intending to find another job, but then it just kind of took off a lot quicker. I always intended to do my own thing. I just thought maybe for like five or so years, I would work with somebody else and sort of apprentice and go further, but it just, the availability of jobs in the jewelry field then um, were not as vast as they are now. Yeah, this was 2009, by the way. So we were like, we had a, a great graduation yeah. year. And I think everybody, we all graduated from art school. And it was we're a like, depressing summer. <laughs> we're like, oh, okay. There, there aren't jobs for art kids right after the market yeah. crashed. Um, but it's kind of cool that that ended up kind of launching your own business how did you develop it? You said it just kind of took off. You just started kind of making jewelry. Where were you selling it? How did you find you were making connections to get the word out about your business, finding the right people who were interested in buying your jewelry and actually making sales? Mm -hmm. Well, I was fortunate enough, as we mentioned before, my senior thesis was pretty, was very successful. So I could still, I was still applying to a lot of shows with my senior thesis pieces and awards and things. So I was named a finalist at the Nietzsche Awards. And then I had a a piece that was in a craft form show in Philadelphia that won um, Juror's Choice. So I was sort of still entering my things into, into shows and then Along with that, then I was creating my my more sellable pieces that I started creating. And then I just started contacting stores, honestly. And at the time, a lot of them just wanted to do consignment basis. But and sometimes in the beginning, that's what you have to do. Uh, I prefer now not to do consignment, but but just getting myself out there in the beginning and then starting my own website, putting my stuff on Etsy and all of that. Like at first I was, I didn't want to be on Etsy. I thought, you know, it's too high end for Etsy, but really putting yourself on anything you can put yourself on is good because I later on was featured in a magazine because someone found me on Etsy. Like it's good just to have your name out there. And, and that's really what I did. There was a website fab that was really big for a short period of time. And they did flash sales during the time of flash sales and I did that and that really got my name out there as well. Um, And I did really well in there for about two years. Yeah. Um, I remember Fab. It was kind of the height of like when Groupon just came out too. And all these things were new and yeah, yeah, yeah. like the flash. And in the beginning, you know, they featured four artists a day, one in the jewelry field, one in a home field, one in the graphic arts field. And so you were like the main person on the website and people went there. They were like, well, there's only so many I need to buy this. And it was, yeah. Flash sales aren't, aren't what they were then, but yeah. it was good to get my name out then. Yeah, I remember. It was cool. And they were all cool, like, artists and really um, custom 
pieces yeah. and, and homemade pieces on Fab. So it was like a cool site. Yeah. Did you then just continue to sell on Etsy and on your online shop or did you end up making deals with stores? Is, is your stuff um, around different shops? I then I did some wholesale markets and, and just re- continued to reach out to stores myself. Um, if, you know, if I was traveling to, to LA to visit a friend, I would contact some shops and be like, Hey, are you interested? And like, hopefully get some bites, you know, for every like 10 emails, you get one back mm-hmm. sort of situation and would bring my jewelry all the way out to LA and just like put it out in front of them to show them it and did the same with a lot of other cities and sort of got myself out there that way. I also was started doing a lot of markets at, at one point in time, craft markets, um, renegade fairs and things like that around Brooklyn and even out in California. And so that's another way to get your name out there. Yeah. That's a whole, whole thing as well. Yeah. It's, I've been to a few of them. The one in the, uh, not the ferry building, but the Fort Mason Center yes, in San I, Francisco. I they have a great twice. one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So are, is your stuff in some stores around the country? Like if I were to go somewhere, um, would I see it anywhere? So over the 10 years, yeah. you know, or so since I've been doing this, um, I've, I've switched e- different years doing different things. Um, there was a period of time where I was doing a lot of wholesale. There was a period of time where I was doing a lot of craft fairs. But you decide what you like and what you don't like. And I wasn't loving doing wholesale. So I'm not opposed to doing it. If someone contacts me, I go out and I I, I might sell to them. But I don't specifically seek and do all these markets to try to get myself into stores right now. I'm doing a lot of my sales um, online, yeah. like Etsy and my own website primarily. Yeah, I'm building your own brand yeah. up. So speaking about some of these different magazines and, and things that helped get your name out there, I was just looking through some of the some of the past shows and, and areas that you were featured in, and you're in some pretty cool things like Christian Seriano's Fashion Week show in New York City, and then you have had some cool celebrities like Whoopi Goldberg and other people wear your jewelry. Mm-hmm. Is there any particular event or or person or or feature that you find really cool that you might want to talk about? And and how did you know one of these things come about? Probably one of the coolest ones, obviously, is Christian Siriano. Um, on the unfortunate end of that, I designed so many more pieces that were supposed to be in the show. And at the very last minute, the stylist um, cut them because they were too distracting with the intense makeup. Oh, no. So only like an eighth of the pieces I made probably actually made it on the runway. That was disappointing, but it was also very cool to do that. But that actually came about from, a, like we talked before about Fab. Um, I was on Fab. Someone who was working for Christian went to Pratt as well, saw my work, remembered my work, and sort of was like, hey, look at this stuff. Do you, don't you think it would be nice for this collection? And they said, yeah, bring her in. We had a meeting, discussed, and, and you know, in three weeks, I made a bunch of pieces for him for a show. That's really awesome. quick. So do you get paid for something like that? Or is it kind of one of those deals where they're like, hey, we're going to feature you? It was and- more like an exposure thing. Yeah. Um, but in the end, some of the custom pieces I did make that weren't just pieces I already had had, he had purchased from me in the end. Oh, so, that's great. Um, so... Yeah. A few pieces. Yeah, that's super cool. And we did just kind of talk about briefly how you've tried a few different methods of sales and you've learned what you liked and what you haven't liked over the past 10 years that you've been doing mm-hmm. this now. But also the business is just changing. So it's just deciding what I like, but also 
sort of going where things are like, like flash sales, they had their time. Those flash websites aren't doing so well now. I'm not going to put myself on them. Right. And so it's kind of that as well. Yeah. So what have you found, you know, you're focusing on your website and your branding. What have you found currently is where you're looking to take your business and, you know, the, the type of sales and, and clients that you're looking for and reaching out to and, and why have you made some of those decisions? Over the years, started doing more custom, more and more every year. And those were chances to make these like special one-of-a-kind pieces. And production for me, like it was nice, but I found myself like, especially when I was doing craft fairs, trying to make more and more and cheaper and cheaper to compete with other people, it started to get really burned out and was like, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to make a hundred pieces that are all sold for $40 a piece. I wasn't making something I liked design wise and, and just all around. So I've started going more towards higher end and custom and one of a kind, sort of getting back to where I started when I was doing work at Pratt and I made these sort of like bigger one-of-a-kind pieces and I missed that and so um, as you mentioned in the beginning I have another company called Sweet Caroline that brand that just launched came out of my need and want to do more one-of-a-kind pieces and I saw that with a wedding field as a field to do that in yeah yeah let's talk about Sweet Caroline a little bit more it's Mm -hmm. a wedding brand that you launched this past year or Mm -hmm. was it a year ago now uh it was January January And it seems like it's been doing really well. And it's a sister company to Carrie Bilbo Jewelry. How have you worked to brand that differently? What made you decide to make this a separate company and Mm -hmm. kind of take it in its own direction? With Carrie Bilbo, I... I like to make new designs and things. So I, you know, I've made things that are of all sorts of types. I made some high ends, some middle ends, some low end. I have like over a hundred pieces, production pieces that are on my website. I tried doing some home pieces because I just wanted to for fun and things like that. And I, I didn't want to add, then start adding in these one of a kind pieces because it gets a little like confusing to the buyers. So, you know, a friend once told me she works in PR and she was like, if you ever start doing more high end, like, I think you should like rebrand it and you should use your real name, your, your given name, which is Caroline. And I was like, kind of like that. So when I got in my head to do this, this wedding brand, I decided let's keep it separate and separate, but together and do all my custom and more wedding focused. Although it's not Specifically only for wedding. The idea is that these wedding pieces are worn on your wedding day, but also beyond past that. They're not strictly wedding. Right, right. I mean, I wear my wedding ring every day, so obviously it needs to to last forever. And yeah. and it's really important beyond just the day. I, I also had a hair piece that you made, which mm-hmm. I'll probably save that for a special occasion. But what what else is behind this wedding line, I've heard you talk before a little bit about how you feel it's important to really make pieces that last. And I know when we spoke to you about choosing my husband's ring, especially, you talked about some of the different metals and why there's a lot out there in the wedding jewelry industry that's maybe not that appropriate or going to last as long as it should. Mm -hmm. Can you give some insight into, into that market and why why certain things will last longer or be better in the long run? Yeah. So it's something you're going to look at and wear every day past 
your wedding day, like the flowers you get on your wedding, like those things are all important, but the jewelry you're going to have forever. So you get something that's, that's going to last. And so as much as I love silver, if someone works with their hands a lot, like silver, for example, is a very soft metal. So there's a reason why people have gold as their wedding bands. It's just, it's a stronger metal. <laughs> so things like that. I had been working on a custom project now where they were talking about, they wanted a non-diamond as the engagement ring, but they were like, well, I really like opals. And I'm just like, hold on. Let's not do opals. That is very soft stone. That is not something you want to wear on your wedding, on your engagement band, like a ring you wear every single day. You'll end up breaking it probably. And those things are things you learn just through learning in general, like just through time and, and experience. It's really good to know because I think especially for men's bands, there's a lot of trends out there where if you want to have like a cool hipster wedding band, they have wood and they have all these like black looking, I don't know if they're titanium. I don't know what they are. Yeah. And Tungsten we, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And we spoke about that and you kind of let us know it was the same situation. Yeah. And well, tungsten is becoming really trendy and it, it's not even that much cheaper than gold in the end. But the problem is that's a ring that can never be sized. And if you've worked in a jewelry shop, you know that people usually... Fingers get smaller or bigger over time. Um, men's particularly usually get bigger and they need to have that ring sized. And with a tungsten, you just have to buy a whole new ring. So thinking about that in the future as well. Yeah. So those are really great things to, to know going into looking into a wedding band. Yeah. What are some other things that in focusing on Sweet Caroline and your wedding line, you've learned that might have been different from the other custom jewelry or the other jewelry you've made over the years. Is there anything different about this particular industry? It's just working with wedding clients, mostly doing a lot more custom. People love to have custom for their wedding, especially if they're going to spend the money, which is cool because it kind of takes you back to your roots and it's more of an, an artistic practice rather than just turning out product for yeah. people yeah. over and over. And some of the one of a kind pieces that I'm doing that's different with this brand is, is the hair piece at, aspect, um, creating these sort of, grand hair pieces that will last forever. Like a lot of them um, going back to nature are floral, but they are flowers constructed out of sheet metal. There was a lot of trial and error with that too, because you can't have the weight if someone's wearing it. You got to think the jewelry is art, but it's also has to be functional. Um, so that's something to think about. And creating these pieces that can be worn on the wedding or special occasion and past then, because they don't scream wedding. Uh, a lot of the stuff I found when I was um, with my friends like shopping for weddings uh, that they sell you as hair pieces are these plasticky like blingy I remember them handing me one in a store and it read like a thousand dollars and I was just like what is this made out of and I was like this is plastic how is this a thousand dollars and then I turned to my friend and I said please let me make you something like I don't spend a thousand dollars on a on a piece of crap so these pieces are pieces that yeah you can you can keep wearing forever special occasions and whatnot. And then if you, you're not into wearing it, I haven't got this going quite yet because I've just launched the brand, but we t I talked to the people about the possibility of having a frame and hanging it on your wall with your, along with your wedding pictures as a piece of art instead of um, wearing it again if you, if that's, if you don't want to wear it. That's super cool. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah, and having a nice like photo next to it or, yeah. or mounting it somehow. Yeah, so it's like it a shadow box situation instead. So, I mean, it, in the end, it's a piece of art. Uh, I spend like... I spend weeks on some of these hair pieces. Um, they're very elaborate and, yeah. and involved. <laughs> yeah. And then the hair pieces are beautiful. They're really kind of similar to your, your style with the branches and flowers. And they're not, I wouldn't say they're your typical 
wedding hair pieces that you think of, you know, because like what you said is true. Everything about a lot of typical weddings kind of just feels blingy and silly to me. You know, a lot of like extra lace, super bling, shiny things everywhere. So many sparkly like CZ things. I (laughs) hate it. So I had a hard time, you know, with even wedding dress shopping. I feel like I I went to a couple different places and I was like, these are horrible. And there was one shop that had had things that felt like it was a nice quality and simple and not over the top. Yeah. And I think that's one of the really great things about your line is you can do anything, you can make it custom, but it's it's tastefully done and the quality materials make it look you can tell their quality. You know, yeah. you can tell it's not just some shiny, shiny thing that reminds me of Claire's when we were little. You know, yeah, some of those exactly. wedding things are are like that. So I think it's really cool and and definitely yeah. Better. And those like shiny things, like I said, the materials are horrible, but they're still charging a ton for them because they're for wedding. Whereas like it's a wedding brand, but I'm not upcharging. I'm not charging more just because the word wedding's attached. I'm charging what I would charge for anything. Right. You're you're buying the piece, <laughs> and because I'm not doing wholesale with this brand right now, I I can keep the prices lower because I'm not having to give a big cut to a store. And that's that's my goal is to to keep doing that. But we'll see where the where it goes. I'm still in the first year. Yeah, yeah. So what what are your goals with the line and the in the future? I know you're you're doing a lot more custom and seem to be enjoying it. Do you have a plan for what happens next and where you want to take this line and the products? I mean, just expanding it more and in the way that you know, creating more pieces for people and doing more weddings and whatnot. I'm only in the first year, so you know, I've, I've only had I've had a handful of, of people, but not not as many as, you know, hope and I hope in the future. And, um, you know, I would love to be able to hire, um, one or two people as staff. And I mean, long-term goals, I would, I think it would be great to have like a storefront of some sort, probably not New York city, but you never know. Uh, but yeah, a storefront would be good. I don't know. I don't have any like grandiose plans except yeah. the, you know, just expanding the business. Simple. Yeah, stuff. just just keep growing and keep yeah. going and doing yeah. more. Storefront would be super cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as an artist, I don't know. I don't. I don't have dreams of being like a millionaire with like and turning my company into this huge corporation where the you know the designer's not even involved anymore and it's just the name. I, I don't have goals for that. I would rather keep it as a handmade thing and more small business. Just but to be a successful small business. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep the art in it and get to keep designing. You don't want to kind of just step back and and be approving things, but you want to be making it yourself. I mean, that's always been important to me. Um, Some people I graduated with went on to just designing and no more making. And, you know, people went different ways with it, but making is something that's always been really important to me. So it's something that I want to continue doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool. I mean, I, I got to see your studio in the Navy yard and it's fun. You have all this equipment and you have your own little space and it must be nice to get to spend your day in there just creating things. With yeah. Your hands. Yeah. It, it's, it's really nice, especially when you get in the zone. Um, I mean, it's, it's a shame that like sometimes, you know, the most annoying part is having to stop and do the business aspect of things, which is, you know, what all of us makers uh, also have to do the business. end. if you have a small company, if I could, I would love to just like, sit there for 12 hours straight and just make things rather than having to stop and reply emails and do things and post on Instagram. Yeah. So maybe that's the goal, just growing enough to be able to hire an assistant. (laughs) Hire the people to do the things I don't want to do. Yeah. That would be the goal. Yeah. I'm I'm currently working at that. I'm, 
I've learned there are some things I'm just terrible at and like accounting. So for that, that's why I have an accountant now. <laughs> yeah. And they take, take that's care of That's something I've it. always had actually is the accountant. I do not do taxes myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are just some things that are, are not worth the time and I'd rather pay to have them done. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for talking about all of this. Do you have any advice to anyone who might be interested in jewelry design or or starting a small business like yours where they they are a maker and they're just trying to get their their product out there and seen by the world advice would just be obviously to keep to keep going like you know you're gonna get turned down a lot as as anyone will probably say and it just, it requires a lot of work. Um, that's what I also say. Like you got to love it because it is a lot of work, a lot of passion and, um, it's not always easy. So, and just to put yourself out there wherever you can, it doesn't hurt to put yourself on any website. Although with jewelry, there's a lot of websites out there that want you to pay upfront fees to be on things. Oh, don't do those because a lot of times those aren't worth it. Like paying the $400 to be on a website. Don't do those, but get yourself out there on, on all the free things and, and things you can you can get on um, and sort of, yeah, just trial and error. Like, again, like I learned a lot of, a lot of things just through working with someone else and trial and error, like what was, what worked and what didn't work, what I like, what I don't like. And my business has evolved many times and different aspects. So just, yeah, just keep doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice, especially the, the paid websites part. I didn't realize they did that for jewelry. I know it's for art. They have a lot of those where they're like, get your painting scene pay whatever oh, yeah. amount, which is ridiculous. Um, I, if once a month, if not more, we'll get emails to be like, well, we have this great website. Why don't, you know, comes for luxury items, blah, blah, blah. You know, do your research. You find quickly, you're like, no, this is, a, no, not going to be on this website. Do your research a little bit too. But if it's yeah. free, it doesn't hurt. So try it out. Don't risk your own money on it because a lot of times those things are, are in a way kind of a scam. <laughs> kind of a scam. Yeah, they might get a little bit of exposure, but it's not worth yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great to know. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And everybody should check out CarrieBilbo.com and SweetCarolineWedding.com. SweetCarolineWedding.com, especially if you're looking to get engaged or know anybody who is about to or need any hairpiece or anything cool for your wedding. Or just regular custom stuff. I mean, under yeah. Sweet Carolina, I do earrings and things as well. Yeah. I'm like I'm like a walking review for you because, <laughs> you know, I wear the ring every day and I show all my wedding pictures off. So if anybody has any questions, they could just ask me all about it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Once again, you can check out Carrie's work at CarrieBilbo.com and SweetCarolineWeddings.com. You could also follow both her brands on Instagram. If you would like to check out the resources from this podcast, head over to CheyenneStudio.com slash podcast. And we have some links and more info about things you heard about in this episode. I want to once again thank Charmer and Clay for providing the intro and outro music to this and every in the making episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you.